Devora Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Okay, so back to our topic. So we're not jealous of our child or our student. So one of the antidotes to jealousy is that, you know, generally we want our children and our Talmidim to do better than us because we see them as an extension of ourselves. And we're not jealous of our child's beauty or their organizational skills, if we're normal, right, or their intelligence. Hopefully we're not jealous of that. And so she says that we should try to include other people, imagine other people as your children or as your students. Try to see like this idea we've been talking about, this idea of Abba Yisrael, this idea of Kol Yisrael Arabian Zebazeh, this idea of positive interdependence, that we're all part of the same thing, the same organism, the same single-celled amoeba, right? Whatever it is, and that your success is my success. And... She says, you know, you might be jealous of someone, but what if you became their mentor or their coach, right? Then, you know, you're somebody who used to be a skating champion, and now in your later years you're coaching kids. Well, obviously you're going to be proud of their accomplishments. So, you know, the same person that you may have been jealous of, you could work to become proud of. So again, the more Avas Yisrael we have, the more we celebrate others' success and are happy for them. Okay, we talked about one, another antidote was not to notice too much. This is from Orchos HaTzadikim. When a person doesn't notice so much what others have, he won't desire so much. And we talked about the difference between Re'iya and Histaklus, right? Looking, seeing, and then moving on or actually gazing. And we said halakhically for a man to do that with a woman, there's a distinction between whether he just looked and whoops, what, what did somebody say? It was a, it was a, I don't know, hit and run. No, no, it was, it was just like, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't intentional or whether they're actually gazing. So that's considered an avera. So in terms of jealousy, again, if you want to feed that jealousy, then you'll gaze and look a person up and down and examine all the decor and everything that's in their china cabinet and how much did you spend on that and what, you know, and somebody was telling me they had somebody who came over and was doing that. Like, you know, I was just raised that that was gauche and low class. But anyway, the point is, is people do that and then they make themselves jealous. And if you see that you're going there, you know, be light with your eyes, okay? It's very hard for a person who's naturally observant and notices what people are wearing, what the children are wearing, what the decor is, and what the, the you know, and how much did they spend. And the, it's very difficult. It's much makes it much more difficult, right? It says that at a vor, so so this is a good time to be spacey, okay? For anybody who's spacey like I am, and I don't know what the color of the the dresses were, and I don't quiz me on you know the decor, like you know. It's actually a good time to be spacey, to not really notice. That can help, okay? It says about Adam and Chava that they didn't have jealousy. Why? When we say at the at the Sheva Brachas, we Sameach to Samach, Re'im Ahovim, right? Like Adam and Chava in Gan Eden. We, 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 we say that at a Sheva Brachas because what we're saying is that Adam and Chava had something that no other couple had. 
they knew for sure that they were the they were married to the right person. <laughs> okay? They knew that for sure and there was no one else to look at. They never had to second guess themselves and say, you know what, I might have married the wrong person. I don't know, right? So again, the opposite of Ganadin, she said, is Gehenim, which jealousy is described as as hard as Gehenim, right? And that is that when you're always looking at the good qualities of someone else's spouse, she says the key to living in your own Ganadin is to shut the windows, so to speak, metaphorically and um, metaphorically, put down the curtains. Say, I want to live in my own gun, Aiden, and appreciate it. It's a choice that I don't want to notice so much. Okay? Okay. Anything good here? Let's see. Um, yeah, so I thought this was an interesting idea, and it's something that uh, Dina Schoonmaker has brought up in other classes, um, dealing with just the general idea, a, a, a klal, a truth, a uh, um, so it's by a Rabbi Uri Weisblum. He says, every bad mita has an elevated place. Okay, which is a very Jewish idea. I don't know if I mentioned to you, I mentioned in my class yesterday that I was once sitting on a bus reading Gateway to Happiness. And if you know that book, you know, there's a worry, jealousy, uh, approval-seeking, anger. It has all these chapters. And I don't know, I was sitting next to a Catholic woman and she was kind of reading over my shoulder which was interesting, and she said to me, oh, what's that book you're reading? So I was explaining that, you know, in Judaism, we have all these character traits, but you can channel them for good. And she was so amazed. She said, wow, we don't have that in Catholicism. I mean, anger is just evil, and jealousy is evil, and you've got to get rid of it, and you've got to, you know, do penance. There's no such thing as jealousy can be good, or anger can be good, right? Or that's at least what, her, what was her understanding as it growing up in Catholicism. But we have this idea that every bad mita doesn't have to be squelched. It has to be channeled. <coughs> it has an elevated place. So you can use it in the proper context, but often it gets derailed. And she says, we have the free will to either use a certain mita in an elevated form or in its lower form. So she gives a few examples of this. Okay, so for example, imagination. She says, imagination generally in Jewish thinking is that it can be the root of Avera, right? Because imagination can lead you to think inappropriate thoughts. So how can you use imagination in a good way? I remember when I wasn't well, one of my teachers called me from Israel and she said to me, do you know why you have an imagination, Devorah? I never forgot this because there were certain things people said to me. And I said, no, she said, because you should be using it to imagine yourself well. So, you know, that is one of these things in medicine that they talk about, you know, the mind is so powerful. And you're supposed to imagine all those little cancer cells, whatever, getting zapped or leaving your body or, you know, some kind of Im imagination. But that's the idea. So the idea is how can I use my imagination in a good way? So she says there's a verse, Ein Sur Elokeinu, we've all heard it, right? There's no rock like our God. Or you can read it, Ein Sayar Elokeinu. Sayar is an artist. There's no artist like Hashem. So in your imagination, you are the perfect artist, even if you can't draw in real life. But you could, in your imagination, imagine something beautiful that you created. So Rav Dester says, how do you use your imagination for good? 
Imagine other people's needs so you will know how to help them. Someone who just had a baby, right? What do they need right now? Their kitchen's probably a mess. Their laundry's piling up. Their husband probably dressed the kids and the clothes clothes are on backwards, right? There's chocolate on their windows, right? How does she feel together with all those sleepless nights she's having? So inspires in you the desire to help this woman in the way she needs help. So that's, you know, putting yourself in the other person's shoes and using your imagination. So she says, that's the higher way of using your imagination as opposed to inappropriate thoughts. Okay, Um, I guess that's specific, you know, even more appropriate for a man. But, you know, women also can look in the wrong places at the wrong way. Um, So she says imitation is another way. You know, human beings are endowed with this desire to imitate. You know, she said the first time Crocs came out, maybe I said this before, you know, everybody thought they were ugly. Anybody who saw anybody wearing those in broad daylight on the street or anywhere said, ugh, you know, yuck. I mean, maybe they said that about Uggs too when they first came out, right? And that's the joke on all of us because the thing that, you know, you said, yuck, I'd never wear those. I'd never get a pair of Toms. They're duck, Whatever it is, even if they do give money to Sadaka, I'm not going to, you know. But what happens is... You see one person wearing it, you see two, and we are creatures of imitation. We want to be like everybody else. And so the shoes you thought you were ugly, it's not too long later till you're wearing them. So she says, why do we have this koach? Why did Hashem put in us this desire to imitate? And it comes from the verse, mahu rachum gam ata rachum. The same way Hashem is merciful and compassionate, you should be merciful and compassionate. The book Tomer Devorah, right, that was written by the Ramchal, is all about the first part of the book. The, the second part is very Kabbalistic. But the first part of the book is all about the 13 mitos of Hashem and how every single mita of Hashem we are meant to imitate. And that is the way that we become more godlike. The same way God is merciful, you should be merciful. The same way God gets insulted and he doesn't take revenge, but he keeps on giving. You should be, you know, you could keep on giving even if you're insulted, right? That we have to learn from Hashem, right? The same way Hashem gives people chances over and over again and doesn't, you know, because he's so compassionate, you need to be the same way with other people. So that's where that koach of imitation is supposed to be. But we spend it on the lower level of imitation, which is I want to wear what you're wearing. I want to be like you so I can feel like I'm a somebody or that I'm not different. So she says we should be imitating Hashem's ways, imitate the good things. The lower level is that we imitate the way other, others dress. And that's because it, it um, appeals to the narcissistic side of people, right? Everyone's noticing me. Everyone cares what I do. Okay, this is another idea that, you know, I say that, I said this, you know, they really like this, but it's true in the firm world too, you know, the, you know, the expression, a Jap, right? People used to call women Japs, Jewish American princess. You've heard that? You never heard that before? Well, out there in the secular Jewish world, that's a big thing that girls, Jewish girls, are known as Japs, not Japanese, but, you know, princesses. So again, she says there's two ways to be a princess, right? So one way is, like we were talking about last class, you know, is to make other people look jealous of you because you're a walking billboard of every, you know, company that's expensive, 
and selling whatever at the highest prices and you want people to look at you and you feel that you know you are you are everybody's looking at you and you are the most important person in the room etc and you know everything i wear and everything i do is so important right down to my shoe shoelaces but she he says the, she says the higher level of this is yes Hashem is looking at you all the time and yes every detail counts right and even though Hashem's doing the same to everyone else he's looking at you he's the kol yachol shivisi Hashem kenegdi tamid so you want to be a princess be kol kfudabas melech benima right be a jewish princess in the right way that I'm the representative of God, that God is looking at me, that I'm important, that I'm the center of God's, you know, what do they say? That if God had a picture on his fridge, I'd be on, I'd, he's got my picture on his fridge. Have you ever heard that before? Yeah, God has my picture on his fridge. Okay, that that's how much he loves me. Okay, so why did Hashem put Kina in us? So there's two sources for this. Uh, this is from a philosophical question. It's answered by the altar of Kelm and the altar of Slobodka. So the altar of Kelm says, Hashem puts in the desire that we always want more. This is the root of jealousy. This is part of, right? People who don't feel this way, that they want more, we will say about them that they're unambitious. And maybe they even have a very negative trait of atzlus of total laziness, right? It's not a good thing to have no ambition, to not want to accomplish anything in life, right? Okay, so he puts this desire in us because we always want more. So there's two ways that we can express this. The lower level is, I want to compete and be better than everyone else. The higher level is, I want to always be growing and reaching my mission. I want to be a bigger person. I want to be a more developed person. And this is derailed, this desire to be bigger and greater when, it's, we, when it results in kina. Because we want to fulfill our mission, the lower manifestation of this is jealousy. I want your shoes. I want your hair. I want your life. This way I can feel like I'm more, right? The lower level is I want more. I want what you have. I don't want you to have. I want to amass more. Everybody understand this? The higher level is I want to grow. I want to be bigger. I want more um, to amass more for myself in order to be a more developed person. So the altar of Kelm says that people also, people have an inborn godlet, godless, an, an inbred, inborn godless that Hashem created. We know that it says Hashem made us little less than the angels, right? Our capabilities are limitless. However, when Adam Arishon sinned, after the hate, human beings were diminished. But we still have that desire and that yearning, right, to get back to the garden. That's our whole, that's where all of our desires come from on a higher level. We want to get back that godless that was taken away. And 
we still have this desire for greatness and what we're doing is we're, we're really running after lost greatness. And it's interesting, I once heard Rabbi Breda would say that that's why we never accept death. Like people have been dying from the beginning of time ever since Adam and the Chava, right? And yet we know that death was an aberration that was brought into the world because of the fall. Right? People were not supposed to die. We were supposed to live to get forever. If they had made it to the end of the week without committing that crime, human death became a consequence or rather a gift from Hashem in order to be able to keep the world going. It became a different world with a new plan where death was a necessity. Okay? And so... Rabbi Breitowitz says it doesn't make any sense that we still think like, you know, well, you know, I don't belong to that club. That's not going to happen to me. We can go to funerals. We can know that it's reality, but we have a very hard time with that. And he says it's because once upon a time we were supposed to live forever. And we have that still in us that we've never been able to accept it. Okay? So it's as if... Um, the Ibn Ezra, the, the altar of, of, of um, Slobodka says that we're looking for our lost leadership. We're looking for this inherent greatness that we search for. And it manifests in our behavior with jealousy. In other words, that greatness, well, if I can't get it, I don't want you to have it. Or... The way that I get it is by having what you have, or by being you, and not by being me with whatever my pekala is, and not being my true self. One other idea that um, we talked about before, it says there's a practical reason for being endowed with kina. Kina is hard like Gehenna. It burns like hell is basically what they're saying. And again, back to Hashem says to Kain, if you use this feeling that you're having, this fire that you're feeling, you will become better. It's going to be a growth spurt for you. There's a book called, um, it was really popular for a while. It was all about knowing yourself. I can't remember. Somebody who was... I don't even think he puts his name on it, but he was very popular in Israel. Everybody was going to see him. He basically divides people's personalities into the four elements, fire, water, earth, and air. And we are composed of those elements, correct? Our bodies are, and the world is. That's part of how Hashem made the world, through those four elements. So he says that everybody has a primary element that is their personality, even though all four parts of us, but... One is more of the leading personality, right? So anyway, he describes different ones, but one of the things that he says about fire, which I thought was interesting, is that the positive thing about fire is that people who are fiery, usually very passionate, right? Usually very growth-oriented in terms of, he says they're growth-oriented in a way that they have a fire that literally has to burn the level that they were on, in order for them to move up to the next level. They're like, have to destroy in order to build. Okay? It's just an interesting idea, but the idea here is the same idea that, you know, a little fire can can make you want to be better. It can be a growth spur. It can, you know, like I said, 
destroy that level that you were comfortable on and make you have to reach up to the next one, right? Like I say, like spiritual growth is like the guy on the ladder who's getting up to the next rung, and for a moment, you know, he's kind of suspended in air. For a split second, his feet are coming off the bottom rung. They haven't yet gotten to the next rung. The hands are reaching, and there's a moment of risk. There's a moment of I might fall. And so, you know, let's just stay where we are. Okay, so that's the idea. He says that, uh, you know, people start, she says people start organizations out of jealousy. Their desire for something, you know, propels them to do good things. Uh, you, you probably heard of Dr. Kapelkovitz. He's a, a famous psychologist. We actually saw him in Florida at Shul. I was going to say, it's amazing how Shul is just like a equalizing factor. It doesn't matter how famous you are in the from world, right? It's like you could be standing next to anybody, right? We kept seeing Eli, Rabbi Eli Mansour everywhere. And my husband even said to him, you know, you look a lot like that Rabbi Eli Mansour. You know? <laughs> and everybody was making all these jokes. And even when the poor guy was waiting in line at a restaurant, like they go over to this one New Yorker, of course, goes over to the the non-Jew, the you know, who's standing at the, who's standing with all these New York Jews trying to seat them, right? And and you know, one guy goes, "You have to see him right now. He is an important rabbi." <laughs> you know, and this guy's going, "I know you're all important rabbis. I've heard that one before, right?" And whatever. It's just like, but whatever. Anyway, okay. Dr. Pelkovitz is 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 uh, from YU. He teaches a course there, but he's very well known as a psychologist. His father was a rabbi, I think, of the White Shul. And he's written a lot of books. But he says that anxiety-prone people tend to grow up to become big leaders because they have a little fire under them. And if they channel it, it can take you to great places. Okay, let's move on. So let's talk about an ayin tova. Okay, so what is ayin tova? It says ayin tova is a way of life. What is an ayin tova? Big, wide, beautiful eyes that enjoy all the good around them. It's the person who's so excited, we talked about, about other people's good news, who doesn't say, ah, inside themselves when they hear somebody's success or some, but something good that happened to them, but they say, amazing. They're enthusiastic and happy. So this is something that you have to practice, and she recommends not practicing this with people you're jealous of, of at the moment. Okay, but you should try and practice it with people who are kind of part of in your life that you don't really get jealous of, that you don't really feel envious of, and they tell you some good news. You can be honestly and sincerely happy for them. The Mishnah in Perik Bet, Mishnah Tet, says, What is the straight way that the per a person should stick to? And Rabbi Elazar says, An eye in Tova. And Rashi comments on this. He says, who is the person with an eye in Tova? He's somebody who has no jealousy of his friend and enjoys and gets pleasure out of his friend's honor as if it were his own. Did we say this in the last class? No. Okay. So she says, go out and check. Do an experience-based study. Or maybe the rabbis say this. You will see that life experience teaches that ayin tova is the way to live. Even without the Torah, you would come to this conclusion. So the Maharal asks, why is this even called a derech, 
What is the what is the derech, the straight way that a person should cling to? Isn't it a mida? Isn't it a character trait to be positive, to be uh, happy for other people? Isn't that just a positive? Isn't that just a character trait that's the opposite of people who are negative and don't see the good in anything, right? So he says no. He says it's not a mita. It's a mission statement. It's a decision that you make. It's your Weltanschauung, if you know that word from the German, which is like your worldview. It's how you decide that you are going to view the world. It's an attitude. It's, it's a reality that you create that is constant and immediate. And it's like, again, I can't, I, I can't tell you how many times I tell this story, but God bless her, my mother practiced it, and she maybe was born, like I said, on the sunny side of the, the street, but she practiced it to the point that we love to tell how she was driving her grandchildren in the car, and the grandchildren said, Bubby! You have so many wrinkles, right? And my mother, with a big smile and a huge twinkle in her eye, looking in the rearview mirror, probably said, aren't I lucky? And they were all like, what? <laughs> she goes, you know, everybody gets to be young, but not everybody gets to be old. <laughs> okay? And it just came. She didn't look it up. It just came out of her, because that was the way she had created life for herself. She worked of it. It was like a religion. And who did you say said that this is a derech, not a mita? Um, the Maharal. Oh. The Maharal says, why is it called a derech? It shouldn't be called a derech, a way. It's really... Um, no, he says it is called a derech. It's called a derech because it's a way of life. It's not a character trait. It's a way of life. And he says, even if you didn't have the Torah, you would come to this on your own. That if there's a choice between having an eye in Tova or an eye in Ra, who's going to have a better life? Who's going to have a happier life? He says, this is a reality that is constant and immediate. Because all day long, we are making quick judgments on so many different things. Hundreds of times a day, if you could key into your mind and listen to it, you are judging things constantly. Oh, I don't like what you got. Oh, look at that. Oh, I don't like him very much. Oh, whatever it is, we're doing that all day long, and we don't even know that we're doing it. It's constant. The Maharal says, there is nothing that a person is as regular with as an ayin tova. Why? Because every minute you're seeing people, and a person with an ayin tova is always seeing it in a nice way. This is a mita that is more common in your day than any other mida. We're going back to the word mida again. Because you can be going through your day saying, oh, cute baby. Oh, nice outfit. Oh, great dancer. Right? It's immediate. Cute kid. Nice smile. Quick mida that becomes a derach is what he's saying. The mida becomes a derach. It takes a millisecond to make the judgment. But when the judgment becomes something positive, something with a wide eye, with a okay, the Sifsei Chaim says, why talk about an eye in Tova? What does an eye have to do with this? Why doesn't it say a lave Tov? Somebody like this who he has a good heart, right? Why doesn't it say a good heart? 
So he says it has something to do with the eye that has vision. But even if the eye has vision, isn't it the brain that's doing the processing, right? So you could see, but if you have nothing going on upstairs, it's not gonna, what are you gonna see, right? So the reason why it's called an ayan tova is because the ayan is affected by the psychological state of mind that I'm in. In other words, I will see things in the way that my mind is telling me to see it, right? It's affected, but not only that, you know, when we say lo sasur achare levavchem v'achare eneichem, it would really would seem to be that it should be the opposite. It should be don't go after your eyes because your eyes will make your heart, right? What you look at will affect you. But what that verse is telling you is no, if you in your heart already have a negative way of feeling about things, that's the way, that's what your eyes will see. You will see the negative. You will see things the way you want to see them, right? It all begins. So here it's saying that sameach bechalko, if I'm sameach bechalko, it will affect my eye. So it's kind of a little bit hard to understand, but I'm going to keep fleshing it. It says the eye affects the heart. And also, when you have an eye in Tova, you're going to be selective about what you want to see, right? Because the eye represents cognition. The eye sees it, and then the heart processes. So an example, it says, for example, happily married people, in most cases, it's because the eye chooses to focus on the good. And then my heart is affected by what my eye sees, right? If I focus on the good that my spouse does for me and not on the fact that they left the top off the toothpaste again, right? As my husband said, I finally got some shallow bias toothpaste and he got the one that the, 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 cat, the cat does. That was in the beginning years, okay? <laughs> um, true confessions. Uh, so the know. eyes are the... Are the the, the mind? The yeah, the eye, the well, the eye, eye is connected okay. to the mind. The eye will okay. affect, but it's more than that. It's that, right, that the eye chooses to focus on the good. That's obviously, well, you know, the truth is, is the eye is the only part of the brain that we actually see, right? Because the eye is connected to the brain, and it's actually very interesting if you think about it once. You know, like you get those days where you look at your hand, and like, whoa, this is so weird. No, you don't do that. What is this, you know? But yeah, your eyes are really the part of your brain that you see, so it's like a direct link to your thinking and your cognition. But obviously, how you look at things, but even the way Hashem will direct your vision based on your choice of wanting to see th good things, right? He will protect people who have decided that from not seeing what somebody else who has a more negative, less mastery over their desire to see good, right? They might see those things that seem so negative and horrible more often. It's again, it's like, what do we click on? Which road 
you know, Hashem says, I will help you. Whichever road you want to go on, I'm here to help you. I don't get in your way. Yeah. It's also when someone sees themselves. They don't, you don't even have to go further to see another person. If, you know, if someone is not well, they're in their minds, they're fat. But really, there's a slim like anything. Right. And they see themselves as a fat person. Right. They're right? not in reality. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> It shows you, you the power, to, the power yeah, of the mind. Before they even That's look at themselves, great example. they don't even have to see physically yet. Right. Before they open their eyes in the morning, they see, ooh. Right. Because in their minds, they're, they're not well like that. Excellent. That's a great point. Yeah. 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 So, following this, though, you said if your heart is negative, then you'll see everything negative. So, I've written that backwards. You know what? It's a bit confusing. It seems okay. like it works both ways. I think it says the eye affects the heart, but it's the same. But if you flip it around, it also the heart affects the eye. And what is the heart like? You know, in Judaism, sometimes they talk about the heart being the mind. It's very confusing if you've read a lot of Svarim. Not that I've read so many, but I see that that often comes up that you don't know exactly if they're talking about the heart or the brain. And that did come up when she was talking about it too. So that's why this is a bit confusing to really understand, uh, you know, and, and I don't mean to be unclear. I guess, you know, if I can't um, articulate it well, it means I don't understand it that well, as well as I'd like to. But I think it's a bit fuzzy. But I think what we're saying is they work together, you know, and sometimes we're not sure which is the one that's the first that goes ahead. Is it the mind? Is it you know, the decision to want to see good? Is it the fact that um, once we do that, our eye will see things differently? You know, um, and then it will teach the mind more of how to see things, how to think, right? It's all kind of interconnected. So, for example, another example says another person has selective vision, and their selective vision is negative. So they're going to focus on annoyances. They're going to focus on bad things. They're going to focus on the inconsiderate things that people did to me. So if you choose to see the good, again, this idea, that will affect your heart as well. Okay, but this is interesting. The Maharal distinguishes between a lev tov and an ayin tov by saying, the definition of a good heart, a lev tov, is when you want to do something good for somebody else, okay? You see somebody needs something, and your eye and your your lave tove moves you to want to help them. He says an eye and tova is even wider than that. It's a perspective on the other person. It's the perspective that I only want my friend to have good. I want them to have everything good. I want everything in your life to go well. It's much more an encompassing derech than just a lave tov where I want to do something good for you. The eye is very powerful and it affects how you will live your life. Okay? As opposed to the, the, the lave tov. Okay? It is important. This is really interesting. I was going to play the Louis Armstrong song maybe tomorrow I will, that my mother actually had on her computer that I got after she died, which I just would, every time I turn it on, I just sob because she had this Louis Armstrong song. You know that song, The Wonderful, a Wonderful, What a Wonderful World? Oh my God. And my mother was an artist, so she really looked at things. Like she looked at them to draw them, so she really looked 
and she drew people a lot. So she really looked at you and saw the beauty of you, you know, like she really looked. So, you know, it's interesting that it says to have an eye in Tova, you have to have an eye in Tova towards inanimate objects, towards the weather. Ah, what lousy weather we're having, you know, whatever. You have to have an eye in Tova towards flowers, towards inanimate object, right? Like she was always pointing out the names of flowers and do you know what this flower is called and look at that and wow, isn't that beautiful? And noticing the world around you, it develops your eye in Tova. You can't be negative about these things if you want to have an eye in Tova. You know, oh my gosh, there's so many weeds in my garden, you know, whatever it is. I mean, yeah, but there's flowers in your garden, right? Be a positive person. See the sunny side that the cup is half full. Celebrate life in gen general. But the biggest idea is that this spills over into wanting others to have the best. Because you're so joyful. Okay? A little bit more because this is so good. Okay? So how does bitachon and an eye in tova go together? So in Mishle it says a person with a good eye will be blessed. So in the Gemara, in Sota, Lamed Bet, it says the person who you should give the koshel bracha to at the end of a meal is the one with an eye in tova. Isn't that interesting? It says at the end of the meal when you're making him a, a, a zimun, the person who should lead the benching should have an eye in tova. But there it explains, don't read that he should... Um, person okay a person with a good eye will be blessed it says don't read that he will be blessed but rather he should bless okay this is where they get this idea so what is the connection between the person who leads the benching and an eye in tova why do you need to go find the person with the eye in tova who should lead the benching so Rav Dester says because there's direct a direct connection between I and Tova and the leader of benching. When you fill up a koshel bracha, you're supposed to make it very full. It's supposed to be overflowing. The person with an I and Tova isn't threatened with anyone else's success because he feels like he has everything he needs. And he feels that no one's taking any good from me. And so the wine is spilling over because he's saying, I don't have any more room in my cup. I have so much. Maybe I even have too much. So give it to her. Let it overflow to other people. This is the Ayin Tova. I want for them to have good. I want for them to have what I have and more because I'm not missing anything. It's really funny because it reminds me, it's become a family joke, but my son-in-law, whenever he pours a kid a drink or gives them some food when they're asked for it, he always goes, too much, too much, give some back, give some back, right? So they always feel like they're getting so much, right? But he always goes, too much. So then we do that to each other. Too much, give that, give some back, right? But it's kind of like that idea of too much. I've got too much. I've got so much. I just, I've got this kosho bracha, right? So... We usually feel they have it all. I'm missing this. I'm missing that. An ayin tova means that cognitively I need to think that I have it all. And they have too little. I want more for this person. 
We see this with parents and children. I want my child to have more. I want my child's life to be better than mine. I want my child to go to university because I didn't, right? I want this for them. And I don't, it's not, I don't need it, right? They can have the, the last uh, chocolate bar. They can have the, I don't need it. I want them to have it because I'm full. I'm overflowing. I want to give more to them. I have too much. They have too little. I want to spill what I have into their cup. So she says to practice this on a practical level, try to think about someone you feel whose cup is not full enough and you would like to be part of filling their cup and that you want this with great intensity. So an ayin tova, according to Rav Dessler, is somebody, he feasts his eyes on other people's good and he just wants them to have the good. Wide eyes means you're feasting on the success of another. Imagine grandparents feasting eyes, getting such nachas from their grandchildren, right? Sitting at the bar mitzvah and hearing your grandson sing and you're getting nachas. It's called feasting eyes. It's a, a pleasure and a joy. So the, we'll just, just finish this because it's almost done. It's the same idea, yeah. So the Chassid Yavetz, I'm not sure who that is, but either he's a great rabbi or it's the name of a great rabbi's book. He says it's three. Le there's three levels to Ayin Tova. The first level is, I want them to have good. I hope they have good. I hope their baby should sleep well tonight. I hope their teeth that they have. Like this kid has chayin that the teacher should like. This kid. I hope that, you know, their marriage will be more harmonious. It's giving out brachas, right? Even inside you, you know, there were great rabbis who they'd pass people's houses and they'd say good morning even though nobody was there. But they said good morning, like not just perfunctorily, but I bless you that you should have a good morning, right? People, you can do this in your neighborhood when you go for a walk. You know there's strife in a house. You know there's sickness in another house. You know that these people need parnasa. You can say Hashem while you're walking. You can fill your mind with ayin tova, right? With blessing other people. Hashem, you know, get 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 them some shidduchim for their kids. You know, Hashem, help them with parnasa. Hashem, help them with illness. They they got so many sick people in their house, right? I mean. You can spend your time and fill your mind doing this, right? Okay, number two, he says, another level of Ayin Tova is wanting them to have good in all areas, wanting to see major improvement for them, good in all, all areas. And then number three, which is the highest level, is I want them to have as much good as I have, sorry, as much good as they can, even if it surpasses my good, even if it's, it's more than what I have. And again, it's all about getting past comparing yourself. Uh-oh, she's getting more good than I have. We're not in an inverse relationship. Your good doesn't mean that I'm less than. Right? Again, back to that idea that jealousy somehow, the reason why it's so painful is it hits a nerve with us. That well, what will make me special if they have the same car, the same life, shidduchim for all their kids, uh, you know, whatever it is, you know, how will I stand out? How will I be or feel 
for myself that I'm the cherry on the top of the ice cream or we're something special. To access this, you have to think of a real person that you might feel this way about. And then, the and then use this intense em emotion of wanting good. The more I have I in Toba, the less I fall into the jealousy trap. And the Maharal says again that someone could see the same thing as you, but their I in Toba makes them see it differently than you do. And she gives a personal example, and I'm going to end with this. Um, you know, she says that uh, they are a rab she, Her husband's the rabbi of Chappelle's now. He used to be, uh, he's a Rosh Hashiva of Chappelle's in Israel, Rabbi Schoonmaker. And she, of course, has worked at Michala for I don't know how many years. And um, so they always have a lot of, you know, students and seminary girls and boys. And they used to also work for Aisha Torah in their home. And uh, she says that, you know, they have to that uh, the the boys used to come over a Thursday night and learn with her husband and in order to get to the study where her husband was they have to go through her kitchen okay and you can imagine what Thursday night Shabbos looks like so she says that you know my kitchen was a mess all the time and I was a bit <coughs> so she said you know there were a group of boys Balechu, that used to come every Thursday night to learn and there was one boy that she knew in particular that I guess she had gotten to know from him coming a lot, but she knew was very aesthetic, you know. He was very into the way he dressed and everything being just so. And I guess, you know, she was worried about what he was thinking, you know, like what a crazy kitchen her place looks like and has he ever even seen anything like this, you know. And then she said one day, he said, as he was walking through the kitchen on the way to the study, he just sort of announced as he was walking through, I love walking through this kitchen. And like a true Balchuva, right? He goes, this is a kitchen of Kavod Shabbos and Hachnasas Orchim. Beautiful. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. So she said, that's an Ayan Toba, because that's somebody who you decide how you're going to see things. You look at people and you decide what's right with them. Okay, so she gives homework. Look at, you know, somebody significant in your life and catch them doing something good. View that your cup is overflowing. Okay, live with the idea, which is really emuna, that Hashem loves me. His, my picture's on his fridge. Okay, he gives me everything I need and anything I don't have is probably not good for me. Maybe it's even poison. And to tackle Ayin Tova, the Chassid Yavit says, give people brachas, want all the good for others, want all the good that's possible for them without comparing it to your good. Now these are very high levels, and these are lifelong exercises. So, today is the first day of the rest of your life. <laughs> anyway... We should all be blessed with an eye in Tova.